Welcome to tonight's episode of the Remso Martinez Experience. Before we get started, I want to go ahead and give a shout out to some of this episode's sponsors. From self-publishing to podcasting and passive income development, I offer ongoing self-development courses at Champion Pundit Academy, as well as one-on-one private consultations to take you from zero to hero in no time. Learn more at championpunditacademy.com. That's championpunditacademy.com. You want to know what you need more of in your life? Politics. Yeah, nobody ever said that. But if you've got to go ahead and spend money on one nonfiction book, it's got to be the ultimate clash of wisdom, awesomeness, and then obviously the politics. But why not a little bit of comedy? Why not a little bit of a memoir? Why not something that's going to make you say, hey, I actually enjoyed reading this. I laughed. I learned something in the process. Check out my book. It's an Amazon bestseller. You may have heard of it. It's Stay Away from the Libertarians. It talks about all the things you think you might know about libertarians, plus a lot of things that I bet dollars to donuts you don't know about. You can get it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble online. So go on right now. You can get it in print or ebook or Kindle or whatever you call it. Just go out and get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble online today. It's Stay Away from the Libertarians by Remso W. Martinez. Happens to be me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the one, the only Remsa Martinez experience brought to you by Anchor.fm. I want to go ahead and give a shout out to a couple of our longtime listeners. We've got Eli Bowman, Dan Smots, and a few of you that did not want to be named because of the public humiliation you might get by being affiliated with me. But hey, you know who you are. I love you nonetheless. Go ahead and do me a favor. Go ahead and go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, wherever you're listening right now. And let's keep this momentum going. I know I've been gone for a little bit. I'll go ahead and explain why. But if you could just go ahead and go to whatever app you're on right now, this is worth like manna to heaven to me. Leave a five-star review and just say why you tune into the show, why you're a subscriber, why you've been with, um, you know, me and the rest of the team for so long. I would greatly appreciate it. It helps us get this message going of having a good time and learning how to not necessarily be a victim of life, but how to live the best life you possibly can. Um, recently, I took a, a couple weeks off from the show unexpectedly. I was just dealing with a lot of stuff, and it would have been disingenuous for me to just put out a couple of episodes that I wasn't putting myself into. So I thought, you know what? I'll take a little bit of a break, and this way when I come back, I'll be energized and completely in it. And I think you're going to appreciate that too, especially with our guest today. Uh, First is first, I want to go ahead and let you know that I did just finish the manuscript, the first draft, for my second book. I went ahead and uh, released a trailer for that several weeks ago, and just last night, I went ahead additionally and wrote kind of a preview telling you what this book is about. For those of you that remember my first book, Stay Away from the Libertarians, it was a nonfiction political comedy. This time I'm going down a different route. This book is called How to Succeed in Politics and Other Forms of Devil Worship. Uh, A little tongue-in-cheek, a little not at the same time, but uh, go ahead and go to my website, rwmartinez.com, and check out the preview and the trailer, and uh, you'll, you'll be getting some more information on 
on that in the coming weeks and months. I have a tentative release for June 2020, so we've got some time. But uh, that that's kind of like what I want to talk about today. It's time. It's this understanding that sometimes you need to take a break. Sometimes you need to understand that just because you're physically healthy, just because things on paper seem to be going right, you you need to understand your own limits. And with me, when I write a book, it's an incredibly difficult process, especially when I'm working full time. Now, uh, professionally, I'm a freelance consultant uh, for Long-time listeners, you know that I actually quit political consulting back in November 2018 with the uh, 2018 midterms. I was done. I just said, Vominos, I'm out of here. Goodbye, farewell, Advita Sane. And I went ahead and uh, recently I've been trying to do um, other work. I'm on a couple different websites, Fiverr.com and a couple others, just, you know, just helping out my clients. And it's been it's been a good experience getting away from that. But during that time that I was transitioning into this new phase of my life, away from politics, I was writing the book. I also took on some other responsibilities as well, which have been challenging yet very rewarding in their own right. And uh, during this time, I've actually gotten to make a, uh, a very interesting friend as of recently. If you've gone on Twitter, you should probably know who I'm talking about. Her her stuff on Twitter is just, it, it's going to make you think, it's going to make you laugh. I think that we can all learn something from this remarkable woman, ladies and gentlemen, Kimberly Coulter. Kimberly, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Well, thank you for having me. I definitely am happy to um, you know have a conversation with you. Definitely. So, folks, for those of you that are not quite paying attention, because you may have been taking a break from social media as I had for a little while, uh, Kimberly is over at uh, Behind the Ladies Room on Instagram. She's hosting a brand new show coming to the team at Culture. That's Culture with three T's. So, C U L T T T E. I'm sorry. Oh, shit. I just misspelled it. C U L T T T U R E. Culture.com. It's a brand new team of really awesome, remarkable individuals we've had the chance to work with. And Kimberly's doing something which is incredibly uh, unique, especially within a pseudo-political sphere. What she's doing is she's trying to, you know, destigmatize a lot of the issues that we have as people that we don't often talk about. Um, Kim, your show, The Ladies' Room, tell, tell us a little bit about it. What kind of inspired you to, you know, jump into the podcasting ring and talk about you know, topics and issues that a lot of people, you know, for the most part, they, they feel uncomfortable talking about. Um, it's, uh, you worded that in kind of an interesting way, because that kind of segues into my answer a little bit. Um, I initially wanted to kind of be more politically uh, vocal. Um, but as I kind of stepped into that more and more, I hesitated and realized that like, this is a this is a ball game I'm not prepared for. And I thought to myself, you know, what have I experienced in my life? Like, what what do I know about that I can speak on confidently and still make a difference? And mental health is something that I've like walked hand in hand with um, having issues with starting very young because um, I, I was adopted and that leads to a lot of different stuff. But ultimately, um there needs to be more conversations about mental health because, as you said, it's super stigmatized. And um, I, I wanted to facilitate that. So I feel like this is an area where I can confidently, you know, tell my story and 
maybe even get a little bit embarrassed and kind of put myself out there in a way that might make me vulnerable, but I can more easily accept and defend and kind of inform it from that standpoint. Um, and I, I just wanted to, you know, make a difference. Absolutely. And I, I do certainly believe that there's strength. There's certain confidence and bravery that comes with living openly. Um, very early on when I started getting into political commentary and became a little bit of a public figure, especially here in Virginia, where I'm everyone's, uh, you know, least liked yet at the same time favorite person to throw shit at every once in a while. Um, I, I learned that there is a certain strength that comes with just being open. You know, I know a lot of people that go by different names. Uh, they go by pen names, pseudonyms. I know a lot of people that never show their face and never go out in public. And frankly, um, you know, just being myself, you know, it's opened me up to some pretty intimidating situations. But, uh, you know, no one can necessarily put something in my mouth. I mean, people have tried, but they can't make up stuff about me because no one can say anything more embarrassing about me than what I've probably said about myself. And when you put it out there, I mean, no, no, no one can hurt you with it. It's, yeah, it's really interesting. You're, you're absolutely spot on with that. It is kind of like an armor. Like once you, once you kind of own, um, your character defects publicly, um, if someone tries to throw it back at you, it's kind of, it's kind of laughable cause it's, you know, um, like it's kind of those like he who has not had a mental disorder cast the first stone, um, like he who has not suffered through trauma. Um, it, it's just interesting to think of people as like that kind of combative, but they totally are, especially in regards to mental health. Exactly. When it comes to the situation of mental health, I, I feel like the the immediate stereotype is you know mental health is somewhat of a you know a euphemism for just crazy people. And, you know, quite personally, I felt like that was the case for a while. Um, you know, not many people know this about me, but my senior year of college, I actually attended anger management for a full semester. And that was at a very, uh, you know, that was a very pivotal point in my life. And the thing is, as I, I began to understand what the root of my anger, why my emotions turn into anger, and ultimately how to deal with that so ultimately I can stop the pain that's inside of myself before I can inflict it on others. That's a, uh, I mean, that's not necessarily a very healthy thing, but just like you would go to the doctor if you're sick or you would go see a physical trainer, if you want to get better there, there's nothing wrong with, you know, seeking help and getting advice and, you know, finding a lot of the alternatives to learning how to live with yourself because, you know, coming from a Christian perspective personally, you know, we're, we're all flawed as people and we all have these flaws that we have to either embrace and learn to live with, or we're going to ignore it and let it just completely fester and eat ourselves alive. So this is something that, you know, a lot of people will probably never say aloud because they think that makes them look less. They think that makes them, uh, you know, susceptible to the hardships of the world, but nothing. I mean, if you, if you're open with it, you embrace it. Like what, what's anyone going to do? Are they going to make, you know, anger management jokes about me? Like they can't yeah. do anything to me that I haven't probably already done to myself. I also have a really dark sense of humor and I've probably already said those things about myself or it, like, or, or I like laugh about it. Cause it really is. Um, oh, I've heard your jokes. You're pretty fucked up sometimes, but I laugh okay. at it. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I practice, um, you know, progress, not perfection. Like I do, 
believe that people need to be more empathetic, but I do also like, I am just as susceptible to, um, you know, losing my cool as any other person. And sometimes I get catty. Um, that's just something I own about myself and, um, I'm not like proud of it or anything, but I think that's uh, something about you know, my character that I can work on for sure. You know, people get mad at me sometimes because uh, I tend to curse quite a bit just in everyday life. Like I, I was at church recently and I accidentally dropped an F-bomb in front of my pastor and it got to the point where he has dealt with me so much it doesn't even phase him anymore. And I think there's certain truth to uh, what uh, Dr. Frank Johnson, he's the guy who's quoted at the very beginning of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by my favorite journalist, Hunter S. Thompson. Those who make uh, a beast of man free themselves of the pain of life. Like, if you don't have, like, a self-deprecating sense of humor, I don't know how people get by otherwise. Because that seems to be the only way I can really laugh at things sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely feel the same way. So, you know, you've recorded quite a few episodes that we'll be releasing on culture. And, folks, just before I screw it up again, that's culture with three T's. Don't ask me why. Don't ask me how. I know the answer, but doesn't matter that, you know, just know that's culture of three T's. Um, the ladies room is going to be premiering there very soon. What's been kind of the the change in yourself personally if you've gotten to you know reconnect with some some old friends as you've got to meet so many new interesting people how's the journey been you know from episode one to where you're at right now it's incredibly therapeutic to be honest with you i had no idea how quickly these would turn into like impromptu therapy or group sessions but that's honestly what the vibe of the ladies room is at this point especially as we get more comfortable as hosts um, you know, we just, we start talking and stories come out and, um, you know, I tell stories and, and, you know, we cry and we laugh and we, uh, we share our experiences and our advice. And it's, um, you know, like I said, it feels it, I've, you know, I've done, um, AA before I've done NA, I've like, uh, done codependency anonymous. I've done a lot of these, these like group supports and not in the same, we don't do like 12 steps. It's not like that kind of thing, but like, it does have a very similar sense of like, oh, these are people who have the same struggles as me. And this is a space where we can openly share those stories. Um, that's like the most relatable experience I can equate it to basically. Was there anything that you kind of learned or discovered through your guests that, you know, kind of changed certain opinions or views you had? Um, I, maybe for the better and the worse, kind of have found myself self-diagnosing a little bit. Um, not like majorly so, but particularly. You're not like WebMD where everything is like cancer and an STD, uh, right? No, no, no. Like, like, um, just one particular one I can think of is I was interviewing a, an awesome girl named Laura Cassidy and she was talking about, um, you know, I, I asked her a question about, um, you know, if, if, um, if somebody is ga gaining too much weight and it's clearly because they're depressed, how do you address that? And she was just like, first of all, you don't address it because they're gaining too much weight. And honestly, I kind of asked that cause I was subconsciously thinking about myself and she's just like, it, you know, that, that part is secondary. And I was like, oh man, maybe like I have a higher level of dysmorphia than I have. <laughs> <laughs> 
and like maybe I'm like letting that bleed into my life so far that it's like become a so it's become like an acceptable thing to me and I just think that like oh like I would want someone to say that to me so like maybe other people would want that and it's like no you want people to say that to you because you're messed up in your head and like your <laughs> self-image is on all kinds of weird mixed up signals um so like that was it like a profoundly interesting moment because like that definitely like we we almost like we didn't have an argument but like we had a back and forth for a, a while about that one and she had to like really drill into my head that like no that that's not how you address that issue <laughs> i i don't know what what people want when it comes to you know certain degrees of honesty something i've seen a lot recently especially in a certain like jordan peterson lectures for example or even like okay here here's a pet peeve of mine and it's always my friends who i went to college with who are women that post these it's always these i'm i'm screwed up and i'm proud and i want to live with radical truth it's like i don't feel i don't feel like people I, I feel like everyone desires honesty, but at the same time, they don't want it. And I know that because that was something I had to admit to myself very early on in life. But as yeah. I've tried to practice that with others, you get very mixed responses. Like I have some people where, you know, they, they are just brutally honest to being borderline assholes. But then you've got the certain folks that would like if you have a giant freaking cancerous tumor sticking out of your forehead and your dick just fell off as you're walking down the sidewalk, they wouldn't say anything. And if you bring it up, they're going to get upset. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's kind of, that is kind of a fine line. And, um, to a certain extent, like I don't fault people who kind of sit in their own discomfort because I've definitely been that person before. Um, I don't, I think that the message of like, you should be proud of that is like misconstrued very highly. And also I, I fear that because people who are in that state want to have that verified because the, 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 the oppressive state is going to fight for its own existence. So if you're hearing like, yeah, it's cool for me to just sit around and do nothing, your depression like verifies that. So, um, but like what I think the, what I would portray that message as from my perspective is, um, don't wallow in it. Don't like think you're less than because you have this problem, like own it and be proud of it and like work hard to overcome it. Like, um, you know, think we, I can draw the cancer parallel here. Like we, we think of like going into chemo, like going into a battlefield, like you're going to beat that shit and it's going to be awesome. Um, so uh, to an extent I can understand the, like the, um, the motivation to want to be prideful in that. But like I said, you got a million different voices interpreting a million different ways. And, um, a lot of people can take that in an unhealthy direction. Yeah. And, and when it comes to just, you know, personal relationships, you know, one, one reason why I think my opinion of one-on-one -on -one counseling or therapy over the years has changed is, you know, I some like I, I have a very small, close knit circle of friends and people who I will be radically honest with and they will be radically honest with me. Uh, same goes for certain members of my family. But sometimes I, I feel like a lot of people, they don't understand the benefit of having somebody that or a group, for example. And I, I have 
just as a disclaimer, I've never been to a group therapy, mainly because I didn't want to listen to other people's stories, and I was afraid I'd hurt their feelings if I called them out for something. That's, you know, that's just the narcissist within me. But, you know, there, there's something about talking to somebody who's objectively going to speak to you because you're in a willing, cooperative relationship with that person, but then it's like they stay there. You don't have to see them on the street. You're not going to text them later. It's like you're, you're quartering that off, and you're developing a healthy relationship with somebody else. And I think that a lot of people view therapy, they view one-on-one counseling or group therapy as, as weakness in a sense. Why do you think so many people are so afraid to, you know, take that step and say, Hey, I, I need help. Well, because, um, socially mental health is not really recognized as, um, as an immediate concern. I feel at least, um, you know, when, for an example, um, if you're having a really traumatic, going through something really traumatic, like a really close family member dying, um, more often than not, a per, from what I, you know, get gauge from the people I've talked to, is that instead of calling into work and saying, you know, somebody has died, it's easier to just say like you're, you know, you're sick or something. Um, and maybe, maybe the family dying is not the, the same extreme, but like if, if you're having some sort of mental crisis, it's easier to just claim that you're like, you know, down with the flu. Um, and I feel like that should, that is a system that would probably get abused, um, unfortunately, but, um, there should be more of a social understanding about, um, needing, needing a mental health day or needing, um, just like a little bit of time in in any regard um yeah i mean you you brought up you brought up something just a few seconds ago that you know this might be misused my my biggest problem with others and this is why i never wanted to attend any type of you know group setting ever was because i i don't think people understand what is different what was the difference between a mental health crisis for example and what is just stress what is just hardship because people take, you know, one situation or something and a lot of people will blow it out of proportion. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely see that to an extent, but also what I, I try to factor in and it's definitely difficult to do. And I've been in so many group scenarios where I've flown off the handle at people over stuff that I just deem to be complete nonsense. But I, I just, I genuinely feel like, um, there are definitely circumstances where, something that would seem completely innocuous to me would be devastating to that person. And, you know, obviously we can't all be mind readers and we can't all be sympathetic all the time. That's kind of unrealistic as much as I would like to say that that's possible. But, um, pain is relative in, in the, in a physical sense and in a, um, an emotional sense. And if something, you know, minor is the most traumatic thing that somebody's ever experienced in their life. They're probably going to have a more, from my like personal experience, they have a, a higher reaction to that than, you know, somebody like maybe you or I who've like experienced something that is a, maybe some, you know, someone else would consider like someone that's more on, on an outsider's perspective would consider higher up on this scale of trauma. 
Yeah, and, and the one thing I've noticed is that typically people see folks that are usually down on themselves or like to complain. Like, it's kind of weird. That, I mean, we all know those people that enjoy complaining, enjoy telling you how bad their day is. But the people I've seen that most or that are most likely, like, snap and lose their shit are the people that seem like they have everything together, the folks that actually seem like nothing bad goes on in their life. And, um, you know, this, this became very apparent to me in my second year in the army there was um a guy in my unit and uh he was he was removed from an officer candidate program where he was excelling he ended up uh, not getting through it because of certain academics and long story short that broke him and he ended up uh taking his own life three days after he was removed from that and I mean, this guy was, uh, he was in the scouts, which is an incredibly, you know, hardcore, um, portion of, uh, infantrymen in the art, in the army. He was, uh, you know, he was in a scout platoon. He was doing all this crazy stuff. He was, he was an awesome guy. He was a, he was a man's man and everyone respected him for, for that. So when he ended up taking his own life because of that, um, it really did, kind of force us all to evaluate ourselves because, you know, I, I I can say that if I had been in his position, I would have been upset, but I can pretty much guarantee that I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have made the decision to go as far as he did, but that was enough for him to snap in that situation. And I believe that it was everything to him because he took his life because of that. And that has been one of those moments in my life which has really stuck with me because even though I used to kind of, you know, judge people that didn't make it through that program such as I did, um, you know, I, I made it through it and I certainly wasn't a stud or anything. I was towards the bottom of my class, but I graduated, I commissioned, I, I got through a, a very severely challenging circumstance and to see other people not get through i just thought well maybe they're just weak well maybe they're not good enough or something so to see somebody who was kicked out maybe a little unjustly but was kicked out for one reason and he could have had other opportunities to get back in or to find another alternative way to become an officer in his life he, he chose to kill himself and that that really that that bothered me for a long time i mean i can definitely understand that because it, it just like depression is such a, a weird thing because you you know it, it like I said it, it likes to um, it likes to strengthen itself and it also likes to hide from other people because that that's what makes it stronger. So like a lot of people who you wouldn't necessarily suspect to like completely lose their shit like that and and decide that nothing is worth it anymore, um, you know something like that'll happen. Like they'll go through some major devastation. And then um, in that super low moment, they can't, you know, they don't reach out for support or they don't have the tools necessary to climb out of that hole. And they just decide, you know, that's it. And it's very unfortunate. But that's what happens, uh, particularly in a um, in a society that kind of shies away from mental illness. You know, we'll talk all day about heroin, which is also terribly tragic, but like very unfortunately, also a side effect of mental health. We'll talk about cancer again which is also necessary but like these things are all killing us at the same rate and people are so uncomfortable to talk about whether or not they're depressed that they're literally just like 
they just isolate. And in the age of, of the internet where you, you don't have to leave your house for anything anymore, people are becoming shut-ins and people are becoming scared of their neighbors and people are, um, you know, resorting to bipartisanship and, um, turning against each other at alarming rates. And, you know, it, and nobody's stopping to say like, why is that happening? And like, what about me is, um, like what's going on with me and why can't I self-regulate to the same degree anymore? I feel like we always want to just clean up the outside appearance of a problem, but we never actually want to fix the source of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's also true. But the fact is if, if you're uncomfortable talking about something, then you're not going to um, deal with it to the extent that you need to. And that's why I feel like there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, slides with people taking their medication and stuff like that. Cause like once they feel like they got it under control, they stop and then they, um, you know, lose touch with, um, that progress. And I'm not saying, you know, people need to be medicated long-term forever. Um, but there are certain circumstances where, like I said, people, like, and it's not only just with medication, but like they'll divert from doing their, um, cognitive behavioral behavioral training and they'll just, you know, stop working on the stuff that they need to be like healthy and functioning in society. And then they slowly lose it. And then they don't reach out for the support because they in turn that into like, um, self-deprecating talk, like, Oh, like I failed, like, obviously I can't do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I can speak from experience of knowing people that, you know, like we're that are on Lexapro, for example, which is, I mean, it's not like Prozac, which will just completely fuck you up. But I mean, Lexapro, for example, I think it got a really bad name in the wake of the Florida school shooting a couple, you know, about year, year and a half ago, because, you know, the, the guy that shot up the Stoneman Douglas school, um, like he was on Lexapro. So what do you have? You have all these people saying, oh, it's, you know, it was the Lexapro that did it. All Lexapro is is just serotonin that, you know, kind of puts your brain back in order because your your brain's chemistry has downgraded the level of it. So all it really does is it should keep you, you know, functional and it should keep you clear headed. And, you know, I don't think there's is, you know, I think the stigma towards that is, oh, all antidepressants, all SSRIs are going to turn you into a school shooter. So, you know, there's that. Then you have the people that are like, oh, like, like what you said, oh, I'm perfectly fine. I'm not doing as bad as I was. I'm going to stop taking it. They don't understand that when you stop taking that stuff, cold turkey, like that's going to fuck you up really fast. Well, I mean, there's also like the, the example of the school shooting is um, Lexapro isn't the only component. And when you heavily medicate kids. Um, who are like prone to depression and prone to anger. And then you give them something that's a mood suppressant. And then that's usually coupled with something that like an ADHD medication, that's like a pure stimulant, um, similar to speed, like, um, almost identical to meth. Um, you're, cre- you're creating a psychopath, like you're, you're breeding, um, insane, you're breeding insanity. Um, and, and when, when you do that at such a young age, um, you're expo you're you're changing the the chemistry of their hormones and of their brain permanently and you're basically turning off their natural ability to produce serotonin so not only like is the combination itself actively dangerous especially if it's been long term like a lot of these situations but it's also um like the after too um when they stop taking the medication 
they can't naturally produce their own serotonin and a lot of them end up turning to stuff like heroin. Yeah, and I mean it's it, it's completely insane because you've got two schools of thought. You have the people that think, oh, just medicate them so essentially they're just like zombies or you stay away from it because you're afraid that, you know, an ounce of anything is going to make them shoot up a school. Like we we live in a society full of people that are, you know, in my opinion, going from one extreme to another. And it, it really bothers me because I recently saw some uh, polling data that shows that we are, you know, we're the most profitable, we're the most well-developed nation in the world, yet we have some of the highest suicide rates. Yeah. And that, I mean, that that really shocked the shit out of me. And I mean, the, the biggest complaint is that people complain that they're not happy. And then here's where I kind of jump on the, the non-medicative side of things. I, I kind of I like what Jordan, what Dr. Jordan Peterson says is, you know, happiness should not be your goal in life. Purpose should be because when you have a purpose in your life that you determine yourself, that's going to help guide you through those rough times and happiness will be a result of pursuing the purpose that you have for yourself. So, I mean, conversations like this, you, you don't have because they don't teach it in school. What happens when you're sad? They think it's just a phase. What happens when you lash out? Well, you're obviously on ADHD or your parents are hitting you or something, so let's just medicate the shit out of you or stick you in a corner somewhere or another class where you're going to be, you know, essentially segregated from other students. It's, uh, you know, I feel like our, our current society is a breeding ground for, you know, retaliatory behavior. Um, I, I definitely agree with that. And I also kind of want to piggyback on a sentiment that you said that, like, you know, people don't really have these kinds of conversations because that, that actually in and of itself, you know, um, has a deeper motivation for me to have this show um, because of a, a personal experience that I had coming and reintegrating back into what um, they refer to in, in therapeutic treatment programs for young adults as the real world. And, you know, they would teach you all of these skills, you know, like I statements and the cognitive behavioral stuff. But when I would try to like apply that in the real world, I was very quickly socially isolated because nobody else is taught that specifically to have those skills. And it was just like considered really, really weird that I would get so emotionally specific about like, I feel this way because when, when this happened, I felt like it just, um, it, it was almost appalling how quickly so many people turned on me, which is like, oh, my God, you're so weird. Like, I don't want to deal with your crap. <laughs> it was just like so that like kind of paralyzed me into silence about my own struggles for a really long time. Oh, and yeah. That, I mean, they, they try and prepare us for a world that's not prepared for us ultimately. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's that's definitely the, the more eloquent way of uh, <laughs> <laughs> what I just tried to explain. But it. It just definitely it felt it felt paralyzing to kind of try to come back from that. And I also like on the because I was um, a, a young adolescent, um, most of the kids that had been around me had been like much harder drug users than I had. And they were like, huh, like, come back here when you got a real drug problem. And I was like, all right, I'll see you in a couple of years. <laughs> like, did, uh, did you go to drugs and alcohol as a coping mechanism or as a way to distract yourself from other problems or was it just something that you were interested in because you were a teenager well 
I mean, I really mostly only smoked pot until I was, like, 18, and then I got really into psychedelics, um, because, like, I, I'm a, I mean, I'm an artist, I've drawn my entire life, and there was nothing more awesome to me than, like, tripping and painting. Well, like, on a scale from mushrooms to Joe Rogan, how far did you go? <laughs> Oh my god, that's really funny that you bring up Joe Rogan. I listen to stuff about that all the time, and I I would definitely say I've like. Whenever I'm bored with a conversation, I'll just go, "Man, that's interesting." Have you ever done DMT? Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love those memes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I spent about a year basically solid tripping all the time, um, and that was like a really terrible, terrible thing for me um, for a lot of reasons. But um, thankfully, like, I came out of it with all of my marbles, and I basically just spent the whole time drawing and um, wandering around New York, um, you know, um, trying to trying to network desperately but not really doing so good at it. Um, and then immediately after that, I left um, to go back into, like, a, 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 a rehabilitative uh, space so that I can kind of – because by the, by the end of that whole year, like, I – I honestly, I weighed 87 pounds with all my clothes on and I was kind of, I was very emotionally distant from my own emotions. Like I disassociated because there was just a lot of, like I just met my biological mother for the first time and there was a lot of other stuff going on that was just very deeply personal that I just didn't really have the coping mechanism to deal with. And I'd also like not been living at home for quite some time. So like, I feel like that all just like accumulated to that one breaking point where I was just like, Nope, gotta leave. <laughs> that, that That's another thing that I've seen a lot of problems with. And I didn't necessarily see it at the military school I went to. And honestly, like I think military schools get a bad rep because, you know, well, I, I went to a two year military junior college in Alabama um, you know, it was actually kind of good for me because it was one of my first times away from home, but because I had, you know, pseudo authority figures and, you know, and somewhat parental figures monitoring me a lot of the time, it made the transition a lot easier than I think some people that go off to a regular college. And it's like, you know, after like orientation day, for example, okay, bye, we'll see you in three, four months. Like, I almost think that's more traumatic because at least at the military school I went to, I at least they were people who were designated with watching out over my well-being. Well, I actually I have like a different I I I say that similarly, but I I say that I'm happy I kind of got my super partying years out earlier because <laughs> I see like I I went on a three month tour where I was promoting a social media app that has since crashed and burned, and we won't talk about that. But um, R.I.P. Social media app. Yeah. Um, we are, we were promoting at colleges and throwing parties and stuff like that. And I was watching all of these young kids who grew up super straight edge or like with super strict families who had never really partied before, like come to these parties and get so shit faced that I would have to like, you know, cart them out to a freaking car to make sure that they weren't falling over and like cracking their heads on the freaking pavement. And like, I'm, Oh, it was just the worst. <laughs> like I, Damn. So, like I said, like, I, I'm happy I got that. I, I like figured that all out while we were like, you know, holed up in somebody's like basement or bedroom. Like, <laughs> oh, there was mad people at Central Park or like somebody was there. like, I, like my friends were kind of degenerates and I love them to death. Um, but like if somebody was really messed up, somebody would always go to the hospital with you. You know, like I just like 
I'm, I feel almost grateful that I went through that younger. Cause like I said, um, the kids who don't experience that at all and then get to college, like kind of, I watch them go into like system overload. They're the ones they, that lose their shit. They like drink fast. all of the drinks. They have all of the sex and they do all of the drugs and they f- just like, it's insane. And like, that's, um, you know, I witnessed it at every college that I went to. I, I and- just found out the other day that my high school valedictorian flunked out of MIT and became a heroin addict. That's so depressing. <laughs> like in a way, like when I first heard it, I was laughing. But at the same time, I'm like, if this is the best our generation has to offer, like we are fucked. Well, I mean, like heroin is a very tempting substance. And thank I, I actually wrapped up one of my episodes the other day, like in the question of what advice would I give to myself? I somehow rattled off and also good on you for never trying heroin. <laughs> Like, I, I just, like, had to come out. Like, I just, um, it's very easy, especially for people who are not necessarily fully developed mentally or have struggles and are looking for instant gratification. Um, it, it's, like, considered, um, you know, up there with the one-stop happy shops. And that's awful. And I, it's, like, I, um, I just... I wish that I can, like, divert that path, but we're already so far down it. Oh, but ultimately, like, do you think all these experiences, good or bad, do you think it's ultimately made you a a person that, you know, maybe you can define what a better person is, but do you think it's made you much wiser as you've gotten older? I don't don't necessarily want to, like, call myself wise, because, to be honest, that honestly, that kind of... Well, you know not to do heroin, which is a mistake a lot of people make, so I consider that a wise decision. (laughs) Like, I also, like, did acid for a year straight and, like, got down to 87 pounds and was, like, a generally awful person to be around. So, like, it's like I've, like, lived the life of somebody that you don't want to be around, and um, I would... I don't resemble that person anymore. And I would say that, like, anyone else can overcome that kind of stuff. And I have no people who have overcome so much more um, and come out the other side of a really capable and um, reliable person, a, a nice person, a, um, you know, successful, um, put together. And, like, you would, you know, I have a lot of friends today that you would look at them and you wouldn't even guess half of the shit that they've done um, or seen or know about. It would it would blow your mind. No, I, I could totally believe that. I mean, I went to Liberty University where the you know the girl sitting next to you who looks like you know the all American preacher's daughter girl next door was a you know Nashville prostitute with a coke habit. Like it's like it, it, and this is why I kind of want to bring everything back to you to wrap up the show. And I think we've gotten to this point beautifully. Like every day we're going to walk by people and this might sound a bit cliche, but we're never going to necessarily understand what's actually going on beneath the fake smiles that they often show that yeah. to the world. And, you know, the smiles that we show that are disingenuous every day. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, people that aren't necessarily, you know, dressed as goths. Are, aren't the ones that you're going to necessarily think are the ones of the problems. It's everyday people. I live in a very, you know, nice upper middle class neighborhood. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, every year we have some person that ODs, not because they just made a mistake, but because they were actually trying to. But what yeah. does that say? Well, it definitely says that we are all in, in different um, 
we, we are all susceptible to different levels of emotional crisis and we need to be more willing to embrace that about ourselves and be forgiving in that in the people around us. Absolutely. So Kim, uh, this has been a great episode. Thank you so much for coming on. If people want to follow you on social media, check you out, get ready to go to culture.com and all that jazz. How could they do so? Um, well, first of all, if you want to follow my stuff personally, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Coulter Culture. Um, that's C-O-U-L-T-E-R-C-U-L-T-U-R-E. That one's just the one T, guys. And then, um, Gosh for- damn it. We're going to get so confused about all the T's. I know. There's too many T's. I'm so um, glad you said one T because uh, someone oh. will have been like, you have ju- you just told us to remember three T's the entire episode, dumbass. <laughs> Um, I'll break it up with the ladies room. Um, you can follow that on Facebook and on Instagram at behind the ladies room, B E H I N D T H E L A D I E S R O O M. And always, um, please check out, keep checking out the stuff at culture, culture.com, C U L T T T U R E. That's the triple T one as well as culture HQ on Instagram and on Twitter. All their stuff is awesome. All the people who post there are awesome. I don't care what any of you say. And, um, we're, we've been coming out with some really great stuff, so don't just take my word for it. Check it out online. Well, as always, folks, go ahead. Remember, you can go ahead and check out The Ladies Room now on iTunes. We've got two episodes out there. Kim has done an amazing job, and it's been such an honor to get to work with her and a privilege to see where this project and everything else is going because genuinely I think we're going to help a lot of people and we're going to have the uncomfortable conversations that we need to have in this uh, world where you know what, what you see every day is not necessarily the whole picture behind things. So, hey, go ahead and check that out. And as always, go ahead and remember to follow me on twitter at remso 101 that's our oh shit that's the old handle see i was thinking of all the t's and everything else it's remso 4 v-a-r-e-m-s-o-f-o-r-v-a remso 4 v-a follow me and i'll follow you back indiscriminately as always folks have a good night this is the remso martinez experience <laughs>